turn together to the book of Amos, chapter 7. Just a few short weeks left in Amos this week and two more weeks. And then we will be turning to the New Testament, to the book Titus. But for now, the prophet Amos calls us as we look at the end of chapter 7. Our text this morning is Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. If you would please give your attention to the reading of the Word of God. This is the living Word of God. It is inerrant, it is authoritative, and it is sufficient. Amos, chapter 7, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile, away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. And it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line and you yourself shall die in an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go into exile, away from its land. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's ask for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are indeed aware of our situation. We thank you, Lord, that you have given to us your word, knowing that we are a needy people. And so we ask this morning, Lord, that you would meet with us in your word, that by your Holy Spirit, you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would equip us to be more and more like Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Today, as we look about in our neighborhoods, in our country, in our society. Do you wonder where the hope is? 
Where is hope found today? As we look around, the world seems to be a very scared and hopeless place. Every sort of confidence index poll that they take is very low. There's low confidence in our government, low confidence in our mission, low confidence in our society, and not just in ours as well. These polls in Europe, these polls in Asia, they all are coming back today with very little hope. But that's not the scary thing. The scary thing is we could say the same thing about the church today. The church runs around fretting like a scared little child, concerned to run and catch up and always to be thought well of by society at large, jettisoning doctrines and teachings that are deemed difficult or harsh, abandoning missions that take us out of our comfort zone. The church is increasingly becoming a place, the visible church of Jesus Christ, where hope cannot be found. Sure, there are places here and there that are faithful to the Word of God, faithful to the mission. I pray that our church is a place like that. But we need to be very careful because there are countless examples of the church running away from the Lord and then wondering where hope has been lost along the way. That is the type of people that Amos is speaking to this morning. He's not speaking to the homosexual lobby. He's not speaking to a convention of evolutionary atheists. He's speaking to the church of his day. He's actually speaking to physically in physical terms, the vibrant church of his day, the church with the best ceremonies, the church with the biggest buildings, the church with the most money. But he has harsh words. And those harsh words are there because hope cannot be found apart from God. It can only be found in following the Lord and his word no matter how difficult it is. And as he does this, he does it as a prototypical man of God. It is something that we look to as a model. Because you see, he, Amos, is a prophet of the living God. But there is a sense in which we all are small p prophets of the Lord. We all are entrusted with God's word. We all can share God's word. We all must take God's word to heart. And so the difficulties, the challenges, and the victories that Amos has are ours as well. And so what I would like us to see this morning from Amos' life here as a man of God are three things. First, that as a man of God, he is tested by opposition. He is tested by opposition. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you wonder why things are difficult and people oppose you, stop wondering. It's because it says so in the Bible. Tested by opposition. But secondly, when he is tested in this way, he finds comfort by resting in his Lord. Not in his own skills, not in who he is, not in what he has done, but by resting in his Lord. 
And that allows him to do the third thing, the third thing that is such a challenge for the modern church. It is a challenge for you and for me today, and that is to be faithful in his calling. Faithful to his calling. So we'll see that he's tested by opposition, that he is resting in his Lord, and that he is faithful to his calling. Let's start then by looking at these attacks that come. Now, remember the context of our passage that we have here. We looked at it last week. There were a series of warning visions that Amos had brought to Israel. The beginning of chapter 7 is not exactly a pleasant passage. If you were in the audience as Amos was preaching to you or at you, you would be uncomfortable in your seat. Right before verse 10, we have verse 9. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now Amos has been challenging Israel. He has been calling Israel to account over and over again. And this is the proverbial last straw. You know what that means, right? It's a a fictional story about a a donkey that is laden with burdens over and over again and just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And finally, at the very end, one last straw is placed and the beast can't hold up under it anymore. That's what's happening here. You can almost imagine Amaziah, the priest at Bethel, fuming through Amos chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Chapter 6, and then chapter 7 comes and he says, I can't take it. I've taken all I can. Somebody shut this guy up. We don't need to listen to this anymore. We're better than this. We're not guilty of this. Doesn't he know who we are? He's angry. He's harsh. Have you ever interacted with someone like that? Now, maybe you haven't been like Amos and been firing off fire and brimstone sermon after sermon. Maybe you just made an innocent comment in line at a fast food store. Maybe you were just having an innocent discussion in a small group or in a neighborhood group. And immediately someone looks at you and it's as if their face changes and they get angry and their face gets red and they start attacking you. And you wonder, what have I done? But how how can I deal with this? Now this is an unbelievable amount of criticism that will about to come upon Amos. And part of what makes it so is the word that Amos has is so unbelievable in the world. Remember what Israel is like at this time. It is an economic boom time. It is military success time. And here Amos is saying, you're about to be destroyed. It makes no sense at all. It's as if someone walked up to you and said, well, you know, it doesn't matter at all how much debt we're in. Let's borrow 15, 20 trillion more. And you sit and you think to yourself, is this person paying any attention at all? But you see, this makes the reaction from Amaziah all the harsher. And he begins by attacking Amos and attacking him falsely. Do you see this here in the attacks? Look at verse 10. 
Amos has conspired against you, O king, Amaziah says. In the midst of the house of Israel, we have a conspirer. We have a terrorist. We have a guilty man. Amos needs to be locked up. He's dangerous, king. He's conspiring against you. And this is a classic attack. It's an attack of disloyalty. It's an attack that has been used against Christians for centuries. Now, you may have seen it in our modern day. Somehow, Christians are un-American because they're not tolerant of everything. Christians are un-American because they don't want peace. They want to they win. They want to be right. They're not really for what America stands for. Maybe you've heard that, been annoyed, been frustrated, been scared. But it's the same thing that Amos faced. It's actually the exact same thing that the early church faced in the book of Acts. That they were disloyal to the kingdom, disloyal to the empire. You see, it's a very convenient false attack. Because it immediately puts Amos supposedly on the defensive. Now he's got to prove a negative, that he's not a conspirator. It's a harsh attack. But he, Amaziah raises the bar even more. He says, the land is not able to bear all his words. He comes with a second attack that perhaps you've heard full well. Not only is Amos disloyal, he's unfeeling. He's mean. He's nasty. He doesn't care about people. Because you see, the land itself can't bear up under what he says. Have you ever faced that? Have you had an opportunity in a discussion where someone has asked you what you think about a certain sin and you look at them and you say, well, God says that's a sin. And the response is, oh, how can you be so unfeeling? How can you not let people want to live their lives? They want to live it. You see, this is an attack that is used. It's a false attack to try and disarm you, to try and put you on the defensive, to try and separate you from God's word. It's an attack designed to make you think, well, maybe I shouldn't speak so clearly what God has spoken. And he then begins to twist Amos' words. Look at verse 11. Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Now let your eyes go up just a little bit and see what Amos actually said. He says, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now this sounds close enough, right? We might even say, given who Amaziah is, well, that's good enough for government work. He's in the ballpark. But you see, there is a slight change here, and it's a change with a reason. You see, Amos is predicting danger to the entire nation of Israel because the nation has forsaken the Lord. Amaziah turns this into a bold prediction about a future battle that Jeroboam will lose. Do you see the difference? Amaziah says... You see, Jeroboam, Amos says you're going to go out to battle with your mighty army, which, by the way, let me remind you, is victorious all the time, and you're going to be killed. Do you see what a conspirator he is? Do you see how much he hates you and hates Israel? 
Instead of what Amos actually said was, if you keep running from the Lord, He will chastise you. You're running into the arms of destruction, O Israel. But you see, Amaziah is twisting Amos' words. He's trying to make Amos seem like he's speaking of his own authority. Because it's also no coincidence that he has changed the context of this statement. Look back with me, if you would, at the end of verse 8. Who is speaking this prophecy? The Lord said. But not for Amaziah. Look at the beginning of verse 11. Amos said. And this is a a famous formula. You've seen it in your Bible other places. The famous uh, way in which we've heard this growing up is the old King James. Thus saith the Lord. It's the exact same construction here, except for Amaziah has turned it into, thus saith Amos. Amaziah is trying to neuter the statement. He's trying to take God out of it. He's trying to make this all about Amos. He's trying to attack him falsely. But there's another way in which Amos is tested by opposition. He's also enticed and tempted. Look here what Amaziah has to say to Amos. He says to him, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never prophesy again at Bethel, for that is the king's sanctuary. That is the temple, the kingdom. So he begins to tempt Amos. Now, we have to understand that temptation comes in many forms. Temptation isn't just we're tempted to get some chocolate or we're tempted to get something nice that we shouldn't have. There's also a temptation to flee hardship and difficulty. And if there is a temptation that marks America in the 21st century, that is it. We try as hard as we can to flee any kind of discomfort possible. If you think about it, that has been our social, religious, American religious, and governmental policy over at least the last decade. What can we do to ease everyone's pain, to avoid any level of discomfort, especially discomfort for bad decisions, or crimes, or sins? And you see, Amos faces this temptation here. It first is a temptation for self-preservation. Amaziah says, go, seer, flee. Now, he uses the word seer here instead of prophet in a demeaning way. We might say something like, hey, buddy, big shot, why don't you hightail it out of here? Because if you don't, we just let it hang. That's what Amaziah is doing here. You know what's waiting for you, Amos, if you hang around with this preaching and the yelling and the fire and the brimstone? Now, that's enough to scare anyone, right? Imagine if someone said that to you. Someone especially that had power and authority. But like all temptations, there is also a mix because it's not just self-preservation that is being played on here, there's also, he's playing on his need for success. 
He says, wouldn't it be so much better if you took this message of prophecy to Judah? You know, I imagine in Judah they would like somebody to prophesy against Israel. Why don't you go over there? Your congregation will be so much bigger. They'll love you so much more. The offerings will be so much larger. You want to succeed, don't you, Amos? Don't you want to be all you can be? Don't you want to have your best life now? Go to Judah. Don't stay here where it's hard. And if we think about it, that's a real temptation to us, isn't it? We are faced every day with options to do the right thing or the thing that we know will give us a benefit. Aren't we? It's when, kids, your parents come up to you and they say, did you eat that cupcake? And then quickly running through your mind is, well, let's see, if I say I ate the cupcake, then I'll never get another cupcake. If I say I didn't eat the cupcake, maybe mom will give me another one. What can I do? I want a cupcake, but I need to tell the truth. Ah, no. We're tempted to take something that's successful for us. To not stand up for what's right at work. To not stand up for what's right in society or in our families. Because we want to be successful. It's, it's this kind of thinking that has brought us Christian ghettos. You know what I mean? You know what a ghetto is? It's an area in which people are designated and allowed to live, but they can't leave from that area. So you can have Christian music, but don't try and speak the truth in any other section of music ever. You can have Christian art, but don't try and be involved at all in the arts in society. You can have Christian books, but don't try and bring your Bible into the world where other people need to read it. You see? They want us to be satisfied with our success. That instead of changing the face of the world, turning the world upside down like the apostles did, we are ecstatic because we can run 225 instead of 175 on a Sunday morning. We think it's the best thing ever. When in reality, we should be thinking these are more troops to go out into the world and bring God's message of salvation. We're not satisfied with who we are here. We are equipped here so that we go out into the world to tell the message of Jesus Christ, to be his ambassadors. Self-preservation, a temptation to success, but then there's also a temptation that is very American as well. It's a temptation for security. Go to Judah, Amaziah says, and eat your bread there. Don't you know that the pay in Judah is double what it would be in Israel, Amos? Don't you know you'll be secure? You'll have a, a captive audience. And you see, there's an implication here that Amos is doing this for his own benefit, that he's a prophet for hire, that he's only worried about his own security. And if we are not careful, we fall into that category. We think that raising our children a certain way is right because it makes us safe and secure, not primarily because it glorifies God. We try and be safe and secure in our expression of the Bible and Christianity. 
when in reality the Bible calls us to be bold, to stand firm, to be lights, to be a city on a hill. You see, Amos is tempted by these things. Thirdly, he encounters the authority of Amaziah. And this is something that we see as well all the time. Amaziah says, you need to get out of here because this is the king's place. This is the kingdom place. He exerts his authority over Amos. God couldn't have said what you're saying, Amos, because if he would have, I would have known it. I'm in charge here. How out of place you are, Amos. How insolent you are. How dare you speak these kinds of things. This is a threat. And we shouldn't be surprised. Because service to the Lord brings opposition and trials. We're surprised when it does. Aren't we? We're surprised when someone gives us the cold shoulder at work. We're surprised when someone doesn't like what we have to say. And yet Peter tells us fiery trials will come upon us and we should not be surprised. Jesus tells us that the world hated him, so it will hate us. We should not be surprised. Amos wasn't surprised. He was prepared. We should be as well. And the way that we are prepared, what we do in the midst of all of these challenges, these temptations, these threats, is we rest in the Lord. And this is what Amos has done. And resting in the Lord is a very simple formula. You just need to say to yourself, in in whatever situation, it's not me, but it's you, O Lord. It's not my problem, Lord. It's yours. It's not my merit, Lord. It's yours. It's not my skill, Lord. It's yours. And if we do that, then we are liberated and freed because we don't need to worry about how good we are or what our chance of success is. We trust in the Lord to carry us forward. And Amos does this. How does Amos go on in the midst of these attacks? He would certainly be discouraged, you would think. I would be, wouldn't you? If you're sent by the Lord to prophesy and no one listens and then they attack you for speaking. And even more so, you have to remember, Amos knew he was right. Now, imagine this. There are times in which we try and explain to others what the Bible teaches. And the Bible, if we're honest, has a grade of things that we are absolutely sure about to which we're not as sure about. Not because the Bible is wrong, but because we have trouble thinking about them and understanding them. And when we start to talk about things that are a little bit less clear to us, we have some doubts. But Amos doesn't have any doubts. God has come directly to Amos and placed words in his mouth. He knows he's right and he is still being accused of wickedness. But see, where he finds his hope is that this is not his calling. This is not his message. Do you see what he says of himself? Amos Amos would never, well, I shouldn't say never, Amos would find it incredibly difficult to be called by your average pastoral search committee. Because you see, when you 
apply for pastoral positions, there are forms. There are forms for the church and there are forms for the pastor. And the idea is to put your best foot forward. We're the best congregation ever. We're vibrant. We have all sorts of young people. We have older people who are wise. We have people who are hungry for God's word. We're aching to get out in the community. And then the pastor says, I'm the best preacher on the face of the earth. You know, from one to seven, let me see if I can rank myself. Seven preaching, seven teaching, seven worship leading. Now, I have to find some. Recreation, one. Okay. I'm the best guy coming. You know, you, we'll go crazy. We'll go places if I come. What does Amos say? I wasn't a prophet. I was a herdsman. And I took care of fig trees. It's not exactly a stellar resume. He doesn't say, you know, I was trained for this from birth. He doesn't say, I was like Jeremiah, I was converted in the womb. He doesn't say, I was like Isaiah, a member of the king's court. He says, basically, I cleaned up after sheep and goats. That was my job. And you see, there's something liberating there because it's not about who he is. He says, everything that I am here is because of what God has done. And he says, it's not my message. I didn't think this up. I'm not the Oprah of Israel. I don't have the feel-good message to take us to the next level. He says, all I have is what God has given to me. And you see, this is something that we need to practice. We need to stop bringing our message. We need to stop relying upon our gifts and skills. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have gifts. That doesn't mean the Lord hasn't put us in places or given us gifts. But what it means is He has done that. He is responsible. He will see it through. And when we do that, we we don't worry about whether we are failing God. Have you ever felt that way? That you are failing God? This may be difficult advice to understand, but let me see if I can get it across. Stop it. You do not have the ability or gifts to fail God. Neither do I. There's nothing that special about you or me. It's Jesus who's special. It's His message that's special. It's His gifting that's special. So you can't fail God. It's not about you. But it is about God. Do you see this? Amos says, he says, I was just... A herder. I was just a sycamore fig tender. And in verse 15 is one of the most significant words in all of the Bible. If you have opportunity this afternoon, go through Paul's epistles, flip through them, and find every place where Paul uses the word but. You see, he says, I was a nobody. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a message but God. You see, so often the world wants us to stop at denigrating ourselves at thinking that we don't have it together. But there is a but in the Bible. There is always a but in the Bible. And the but points us to the Lord. Amos was just engaged in his daily calling. And you can almost imagine it. Let me put it in terms for you. You might say, I was checking my email at the office. And God came and took me and made me a prophet. I was washing the dishes. And God came up to me and grabbed me and gave me a message. I was studying 
boring math, boring English. And God came and he took me. He gave me a message. You see, that's how God works. <coughs> He's a God of surprises. He's a God of suddenness. He's a God of excitement. Do you feel that in your life? That's how God operates. It's the Lord who makes Amos who he is. It is the Lord who is speaking. This is not Amos' message of help. Amos is just an instrument. Are you ready now to let the Lord speak through you? Because you don't need to be a preacher to let the Lord speak through you. You don't even need to be a Sunday school teacher. Sometimes you need to be someone's friend who needs a word of encouragement from the Scriptures. Sometimes you need to be somebody's parent or grandparent who needs a word of warning from the Scriptures. See, God uses people just like Amos, just like you, just like me. Excuse me. That takes us to our third and final point this morning. As Amos has been tested, as he rests in his Lord, <coughs> and that then takes him to an understanding and a realization that he is to be faithful in his calling. He says to Amaziah, Now, you know, you say, don't prophesy. Don't preach. Let me think about it. Okay, I'm done thinking. You're wrong because God says prophesy and preach. He is unmoved by the opposition that has come to him. And I want you to notice something here about Amos that should be an encouragement to you and should enliven you. Amos is not on the defensive. Do you see that? We, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are not called to be on the defensive. I think one of the things that gets us on the defensive is a misunderstanding of our role and of what God has equipped us to do. Every Christian has the armor of God, don't they? That's important. Shield, breastplate, helmet. All of those things are what? Defensive. You have a shield so when somebody hits you, it doesn't hurt. You have a helmet so when someone throws a rock at your head, it doesn't hit you. But what is the piece of the armor of God that we often forget about? That sword. The Word of God, which is an offensive piece. It is something we take out to the world. We tell the world who the Lord is. We tell the world of sin. We tell the world of mercy and grace found in Jesus Christ. We are on the attack. The gates of hell do not prevail against the church because the church is on the attack. Gates don't come after you. They're defensive. Amos is not on the defensive. Do you see what he does here? He says, now therefore, in verse 17, therefore, thus says the Lord. He is completely confident in what God has said. And he comes right back at the opposition. And he hasn't changed his message at all. 
We might expect if Amos was the typical 21st century preacher, he would say, therefore, thus says the Lord. I'm sorry, Amaziah, that you have difficulty believing what I have to say. Let me try and explain it in a more culturally appropriate way that's less harsh so that you might have your self-esteem built up and therefore you might enjoy the word of the Lord. No. He says things that we would never want to hear in a pulpit. It's almost proving that Amos is nasty. He's not, but it's harsh here. The message is completely unchanged. Your wife is going to be a prostitute and all of your kids are going to be killed and the land is going to be carved up. And now picture this. He's saying to a high priest whose job it is to keep everything holy, the cup's holy, the spoon's holy, the plate's holy, the curtain's holy, the ground holy. He says, you're going to die in an unholy land. Wow. That's harsh. But in reality, Amos is just saying what he said in verse 9 and verse 8. He's taking that plumb line that God has put out, that plumb line of the life and worth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's applying it not just to Israel, the nation, but to Amaziah, the person. That plumb line applies not just to nations, but to you and to me. His message is completely unchanged. And then finally we see that Amos reminds us that the calling of a prophet, the calling of a believer in the Lord is a unique calling. It is not easy. No one would desire to have this kind of difficulty and opposition. But it is necessary. Have you thought about If we, as Christians, do not speak about the horror and wickedness of abortion, who will? If we do not speak of the need for compassion and love, who will? That is our job as the church. That is what we are equipped for. It's not an easy thing but it is a necessary thing. There's also something of comfort in here. We see it in a little word in verse 16. You see, Amos says, you tell me not to prophesy and you tell me not to preach. And the word here for preach is a very unique word. It's used this way several times in the Bible, but it is not the normal word for preach. It is the word for preach, but it also means to drip down like dew or rain. It has an idea of being refreshing. You all don't need me to remind you of this in an illustration. It would be like one of those days where it just started to sprinkle in the midst of 30 straight 105 degree days. It it doesn't even have to rain hard and you feel good about it, don't you? A little bit of relief. The Word of God is relief in a world that is wicked and harsh and lost and without hope. So as we go out into this world, we bring refreshment. We bring hope 
we don't primarily bring judgment, although judgment is there. We bring hope. Because there is only one hope for the world. But that hope comes through many instruments. It comes through men, through women, through children, through the older, through the younger. Are you prepared right now to stand for Jesus Christ? This world needs a church that will stand. That will stand together. That will stand for the gospel. That will stand for the Lord. That will stand for the scriptures. Are you confident in standing? Because you see, it isn't about you. It's about Jesus. And you need to remember there is plenty of Jesus to go around. There's enough Jesus to believe. There's enough Jesus to stand. And there's enough Jesus to share. That is the hope for a world and a church that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have sent your servant Amos that he might remind us that we can only have hope by following you. Lord, meet with us. Equip us to bring your message, to be your ambassadors, that Jesus Christ might be glorified, that your name might be proclaimed, and your kingdom manifest in this world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.